0: This is Alex Moore, lead pastor of New Life Community Church in Kansas City, Missouri. Thanks for taking time to listen to this message. For more information or to donate, visit newlifekc.com. So this morning, here's the deal. We're continuing a teaching series that I started last week titled Purity Culture, this kind of idea that we're having a biblical response to what kind of happened in the church during the late 90s and 2000s as this purity culture was pushed. And it was started with a good heart that we wanted people to save themselves from marriage, which has been the... Christian sexual ethic through every branch of Christianity, whether you go Orthodox or Protestant or Catholic, that you would abstain from sex until marriage, but we don't tend to hear that message much anymore. And the message of sex and dating and marriage and this culture that we live in, honestly, we don't hear talked about in church very often. And I think that once upon a time it was talked about, but sometimes it brought extra guilt and shame. And I think when it comes to sexual topics, and we'll talk about this a little bit, if you've messed up sexually, you're beating yourself up enough over it that you don't need any extra guilt. You don't need any extra shame put on you. In fact, what I wanna encourage you is to recognize that there is life and that God can redeem anything and that nothing you've done puts you into a camp that you cannot be redeemed from. God still has a plan and he has a purpose and he's wanting to meet you where you're at. So we're gonna talk a little bit about that today, but I recognize at the same time, talking about sex, for some people, they feel like that's just such a a dirty word, like you shouldn't talk about that. And if you're gonna say it, maybe you should just whisper it. And, And you definitely shouldn't talk about it in church. You shouldn't talk about it on a Sunday. You shouldn't talk about it in a public forum. And so as we go here, I knew last week we would be jumping into deep water. How many of you guys have been to Oceans of Fun? How many of you found yourselves in the deep end of the uh, wave pool, and then all of a sudden the waves turned on, and you were like, oh my goodness, I'm going to die and meet Jesus today? And I don't want to die listening to the Beach Boys soundtrack, Wipeout. And so you're swimming for your life, trying to get little kids out of your way and floaties and and get to the shallow end. And so I knew that we were going to be diving into the deep end and the waters, you know, maybe moving a little bit. and, And I don't want anyone to drown while we're here. And I know that everybody has a different level of comfort with swimming. Everybody has a different level of comfort when it comes to talking about this subject. And so I want to... Uh, Just thank you. As Missy already said, there are so many of you who came in and just shared what the message meant to you last week. Some of you met me as soon as service was over. Others of you met with me during the week. I got phone calls. I got texts. And I can't tell you how encouraging it was to hear that this message that I really sensed that God wanted me to share was so well received and that people... Your, your words of encouragement just reinforce my confidence in going ahead and talking uh, honestly and openly uh, about what we're sharing. And so uh, while we're in the deep water, while we're talking about these things, uh, I really believe that this is a timely message. I think that it's something that needs to be addressed, especially in the time that our culture is, um, in which we kind of live in an overly sexualized time. Um, and I think it's a really important message, and it's one I think that God can use to change some of your lives. And so no matter what your past has been, no matter where you find yourself, I believe that we're here together for a reason today. And so I'm so excited for today's message. If you are going to take notes, which I always encourage, uh, there's a subtitle to Purity Culture Week Number Two, and here is the subtitle. Today we're going to talk about the real F word. Write that down, the real F word. Now, I don't know where your mind's going right now, but the real F word today is forgiveness, forgiveness. There's three points that I'm gonna make today. I'll give them to you up front and we'll break them down. Number one, God forgive you, okay? It's a place that we're gonna need God to forgive us for some things that we've done. Number two is that you forgive you. You're gonna need to forgive yourself. A lot of people really struggle with that part of it, okay? And number three, it may be the most difficult is you forgive them, that there's others who have damaged you, hurt you, abused you, and that we're actually called to forgive them as well. And so we're going to talk about the real effort is forgiveness, and it's the hardest thing for some of us to do. We want God's forgiveness, but we sometimes don't want to let ourselves off the hook. We don't want to forgive ourselves. We want to beat ourselves up over it. And then when it comes to other people, sometimes we say, if you only knew what they did to me, you'd realize I could never forgive them. So we're going to dive into this. These are some heavy topics, heavy subjects But as I shared last week, I want you to know as we start that you matter to God more than anything else. And the reason we're talking about these topics in church is because you matter to God. No matter what your past is, no matter what choices you've made, no matter what your history is, you matter to God right now. God doesn't look at you and just shake his head and think, ah, he's disgusted with you. No, God loves you and he knows where you're at and you matter to him. And because you matter to him, what you do with your body matters to God as well. And so last week we shared in our message that when we do things physically, the act of sex, it's not just a physical act. It's not separate from the core of my being. You sometimes hear, as I shared last week in movies, where somebody's confronted for having an immoral relationship, and they say, oh, it was just sex. It didn't mean anything. But that's not true. True. And so, in fact, I shared this diagram last week, and I want to show it to you again, that God has created us as a spirit with a soul that lives in a body. And so when we do things physically with our body, it impacts all of us. Sex is not just a physical act. Your mind, your will, your emotions are involved in the core of your being. Your spirit is involved in that act. We don't fully understand that, but the Bible talks about that the two shall become one flesh. It's not just a physicalness. It's not just a uniting of two bodies. It's actually that their soul and their spirit are all coming together in that moment. And so we need to realize that when we think about ourselves, what we do physically is not separate from the rest of us, and God's not only concerned about your spirit. He's not only concerned about where you are in spirit. He's concerned about all of you, your body, your soul, and and your spirit. Now, the problem is, and this is where we're gonna talk today, is that every one of us in this room have messed up. Every one of us have screwed up sexually. When we look at what God's standard is, we've all fallen short of it. And so no matter what your history is, there's some issues, there's some problems, there's some mistakes. And what we would call that is that we would call that sin, that you have violated the way that God intended for sex to work. He created it to be between two people in a marriage covenant, and we've taken that, and we've abused that. We've looked at things. We've lusted for things. We've engaged in sexual activity with others, and so none of us in this room are perfect, and so there's no one holier than thou. There's no one in this room that can look down on somebody else. Nobody may know your mistakes. Nobody may know your sin, but God does, and it's real for all of us, and so I heard someone say this once, and I think it's particularly true of sexual sin. It says this, that sin will take you farther than you want to go. It's going to keep you longer than you want to stay, and it's going to cost you more than you want to pay. Isn't that so true? And so I want us to think about sexual sin today, maybe from a different point of view. So I'm going to get a couple things here. And so we're going to act like this uh, foam board, this good old poster board, is going to represent your conscience. All right? Your conscience. It's, it's clean. It's clear. You have a good conscience. You're not violated by anything, right? You feel good. You look at the world. You're just happy as can be. But then what happens? Well, we're going to act like this peanut butter up here, which is God's gift to humanity. And I want you to notice I'm using some cheap stuff, all right? Listen, if you're going to have peanut butter, you need to know that choosy moms choose Jif. And so if your parents loved you, you had Jif grown up. If you had that Peter Pan, I'm sorry, you had that little grainy, gritty stuff in your mouth. If you had Skippy, I'm sorry, your mom was trying to save a buck or two. Jif is from the Lord. All right, so enough, enough on that. So we, we found Hampton Farms. I don't even know. Some of you are like, I love the Hampton Farms. All right. So we, what we do is we're going to act like that this peanut butter today represents some sin, some sexual sin in your life. Get that on there. Can okay, I get somebody to me a paper towel? Chris, can you grab me a paper towel? <laughs> All right, so here we go. Thank you, sir. Thank you for these napkins. We're going to need those in a minute. All right. So, so we had our clear conscience, but then we sinned. And there's this ugly, nasty glob. It's a gross color even. And it's on your conscience. But you know what we do? We say, I know I screwed up. I know that I messed up. I know that I sinned. I know that I did something I shouldn't do. But let's be honest, most of my conscience is still fairly clear. Like, it's, it's cleaner than it is dirty. And so we tend to focus and try to live outside of this, kind of ignoring that we have messed up in any way, shape, or form. But you already know this, but I'm going to say it anyway, that the first thing that you feel after you sin. The first thing all humans feel after they sin is shame. Shame. See, when we violate our conscience, when we violate our ethics, it causes us to feel shame. And this is something that we see from the beginning of time in the first book of the Bible. After God created Adam and Eve, we read this awesome thing. Here's what it says. I gotta eat a little peanut butter here, sorry. I got a little hand on my hand. It says that, And the man and his wife were both naked, but they were not ashamed. They did not have shame. There was no embarrassment. There was no guilt over their actions. There was nothing that would cause them to hide or to cover up. Their consciences were clear and clean. There's no shame. But we find in the very next chapter of the Bible that Adam and Eve both sin. And when they sin, they both immediately become aware of their nakedness. And what was Adam's reaction when he sinned and he realized his nakedness? It was shame. And immediately he tried to hide. He tried to cover up. He's sewing fig leaves together to cover up his nakedness. And it's interesting to me that when you think about Adam and Eve, they more than likely they they ate this forbidden fruit, which means they would have grabbed it with their hand and they would have eaten it with their mouth. And in the moment that they would have eaten it, Genesis 3, 7, it says that then their eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves waist coverings or, or loincloths. Now, this is crazy, right? They took the fruit, they ate of the fruit, They sinned with their hands in their mouth, yet the first thing they did is they did not go and make gloves, and they did not make the first face mask. They didn't do that. Instead, their first thought was, whoa, you're naked. I'm naked. We need to do something about this. Let's cover our sexual parts and hide. Isn't that wild that that's the first thought they had after they sinned? See, the first thing humans feel after sin is shame, and it was in that moment that they went and they hid. They tried to hide from God. They hid from one another. For the first time, Adam and Eve, who were always together, were isolated, were separate, and it went from we to I in the face of sin and shame. And so when we have our poster board, our conscience, and we have this nasty, ugly glob of sexual sin, see we feel shame. We feel like Adam and Eve. And what we try to do is we try to hide it. We try to do something about it. And we, we don't like that we have done this in our life and we're beating ourselves up. I can't believe that I did this. Life was going so good, but man, I, I screwed up. So what we try to do is we try to clean it up. And so we, we do what we can to try to, to, to clean this mess up. But the more effort we put into trying to clean it up, the more effort we put into trying to hide it, the more I try to just deal with this shame. I can't believe I did this, and and I can't believe I did it again, and I can't believe that I sin this way. The more I work at it, and the more I try to remove this shame from my life, and the more I try to clear my own conscience, the worse it gets. And, And now, gosh, It was just a love and I had a lot more clear conscience, but it's just getting worse. And the more and more I work at this, the worse I feel about myself, the worse I feel. And and, and this is the crazy thing, we feel shame, but our shame will often lead to to our next step. And, And this is what Adam and Eve did. When you can't get rid of what you did, what do you do? Shame almost always leads to blame. And this is what Adam and Eve did. They couldn't get rid of it. They felt horrible about what they had done. But instead of taking ownership of it, they decided to play the shame game and blame somebody else for what happened. So God shows up on the scene and says, hey, where are you guys? And what did they say in Genesis chapter three? They're like, we're hiding from you. And so God said, well, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree? Which I told you not to eat from. And what did Adam say? Uh the woman whom you gave me, uh yeah, she gave me some of that fruit and I ate it. it but here's what's so crazy about God. He doesn't say, Adam, quit blaming others. You know what he did? He just said, Okay. Hey Eve. <laughs> hey Eve, what is it that you have done? And you know what the woman said, uh the serpent. The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Since the beginning of time, shame has led to blame. And when we find ourselves in this cycle of shame and blame, I feel horrible about what I did, and I can't seem to fix it. I can't seem to get rid of it. I can't get it out of my life. I have this tendency to blame other people. And when I begin to blame other people, what happens is is I begin to feel really insecure. And I don't know if you know this, but insecurity will almost always lead to self-condemnation. And this is where we live when it comes to sexual sin, is that we condemn ourselves. I can't get rid of it. I've tried as hard as I can. but, But look, it's obvious. I'm no good. It's obvious that I've screwed up. I don't think God could ever forgive me for what's happened. I don't think he could forgive me for what I've done. And and whatever God's best was for me, it wasn't this. And I've probably ruined God's plans for my life. I can't be what he wanted me to be. I've made such a mess out of my life. And we live in this cycle of self-condemnation. I'm so ashamed. I can't get rid of it. I think it was his fault. But nonetheless, I'm insecure about this. And I'm beating myself up and condemning myself over and over and over. And, and, And this is if you get no other part of this message, get this. The thing that I love about God is that he is willing to meet you in your mess. He doesn't encourage you to keep wiping and continue to try to fix this because no matter how hard you try, you can't clean yourself up. And so God loves you enough to say, it's not good for you to live in this mess. I care about you. And so he's willing to meet you in the mick, in the mire, and to meet you when your life is screwed up. And you've heard me say this before, and you'll hear me say it as long as I live. God loves you right where you are, but he loves you too much to leave you there. He doesn't want to just leave you in this. He loves you, but he wants better for you. Which brings us, to our first point today. Number one, God forgive you. See, in order for us to leave this mess, we must ask God to forgive us for trying to do life in our own power. We need to ask God to forgive us for taking what he intended and us using it in a way that was never designed to be used. Essentially, we're asking God to forgive us for being God in our own life and choosing to have the final say on what's right and wrong. I need to say, God, forgive me. This was wrong. I never want to sin this way again. I want you to be in charge of my life. And here's the great news. No matter whether you think that you've messed up too much or not, you haven't. There's this promise in the Bible. It's in 1 John 1, 9. It says that if, which is a conditional term, that if we confess our sins to him, here's the payoff. then he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, to clean the peanut butter up, and check this out, to cleanse us from all wickedness. He can cleanse you and make you new again. He can take your conscience, which you violated, and he can make it new again. It can no longer be condemning for you. The guilt that you had, yes, you violated the law, you're guilty, but God can take away that guilt. How awesome is our God that he loves us enough to meet us there and to take away our guilt. See, he doesn't just forgive, but he also, that second part, he cleanses us of the mess that we've made. And I want you to notice that God's focus is not on shaming you. See, I think sometimes we have this idea that when we come to God, he's going to be like shaking his head, shame, shame, shame on you. How could you do that? But God doesn't shame us. That's not what God ever does. God's focus is always on leading us away from the mess we've made. There's this crazy story in the Bible about a woman who was caught having sex with a man who was not her husband. I don't even know how that would feel. Can you even imagine being in this woman's shoes? Not only was she caught, but then this group of men grabbed her and transferred her to the feet of Jesus where they were going to ask Jesus what to do with this person in front of this whole crowd of people. Let's check out this story, John chapter 8. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple and a crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and he taught them. Now, as he's teaching them, so he's in this temple, he's in this place that's to honor God. He's teaching them about who God is. And as he's speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. She's with a man who ain't her husband, and they put her in front of the crowd. Can you imagine being that woman just for a moment? I don't know what your story was. I don't know what was going on, but there was such a void and an insecurity and you, you didn't have somebody to marry, but there was somebody who was giving you attention and there was an emotional need met, And so you decided to give yourself physically to meet this person's need. And they were married and you knew it probably wasn't right, but nonetheless you're in this act and then all of a sudden you're caught. And what you thought you were gonna do in private now has been publicized. And so I have no idea how this woman's dressed. If she was caught in the very act, does she just have a sheet around her? Did she have time to get dressed? Is her hair all matted and messed up? Is she been crying the whole time? Did she have makeup on? She got raccoon eyes. Like what does this woman look like as she's brought in front of all these people and it's humiliating? Can you imagine if your sexual sin was publicized for everyone to see? Can you imagine how you would feel in that moment? So I don't know. The Bible doesn't say what her body posture was, but I bet that she wasn't standing upright. I bet she wasn't looking people in the eyes. I bet she wasn't flipping her hair back and forth. I bet her hands weren't on her hips. I bet that's probably not the posture she took because sexual sin brings shame. I'm guessing that her body language was nobody look at me. Let me pull my hair down to where you can't see my face. I'm humiliated. I knew what I was doing was wrong, but gosh, this seems a little bit excessive. (laughs) And here she is, and she's being brought to Jesus. But she's not being brought to Jesus so Jesus can forgive her of her sins. Here's here's what we read. They put her in front of the crowd. Verse 4, teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And the law of Moses says that we are to stone her. What do you say? We have a law that people who commit adultery are to be killed. And so we're going to execute that law. But first, what do you think we should do? And and get this, verse 6 says that they were trying to trap him into saying something that they could use against him. So they're going to try to figure out, are you going to violate the law? She deserves death. Are you going to go against that man? We're going to get you. What are you going to do in this moment? And they're using this woman to try to trap Jesus. But, But Jesus did something nobody expected. In verse six, but Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. What? Here's the scene, big crowd. Here's this woman caught in the act of adultery. Jesus is standing there and he sees this. And what do you think we should do? Now, I don't know what he's writing. I don't know what he's doing but he stooped down and said, so what did they do? So they they continued, they kept demanding an answer. So here he is, and they're, hey, we're talking to you. What are we supposed hey, get some stones, boys. We're gonna carry this. Hey, what do you think we should do? And he's just stooped down, imagining in his little man dress, you know, and what a weird scene. Can you imagine being the woman? Here, what's he doing? I mean, she might have stopped crying for a second. Like, what? What is this? And so eventually, here's what he did. He stood up again, and he said, all right. All right. In other words, you're correct. Your law says that she should die. All right, you are correct. But let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And then he stooped back down again. So, all right, whoever doesn't have sin, throw it. (laughs) Now, some people speculate, and you may hear preachers all the time. Some people think, oh, but maybe he was actually writing in the dust the sins of all the people who are around. Maybe here's Joe, and Joe messed around, and maybe he's writing what that guy's sin was, and he's writing what this guy's sin was. I don't know what he wrote, Weird situation, weird thing going on. But watch what happened after Jesus said this. Let, let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. He stooped down and he began to write in the dust again. And when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one. And notice this next line, beginning with the oldest. Why do you think if the oldest went first? Man, the oldest got more baggage and more sin than anybody else. And they're more aware of their failures. And they're more aware of how dumb that they were. And they're more aware. And so the oldest people began to leave first until all of them were gone. Until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Can you imagine? All these accusers, they just drug you here and they put you here and now they're all gone. And so Jesus stood up from his art project in the dust. And he addresses the woman for the first time. Nobody's talked to her. She's been this pawn that's being used to try to get other people's way and be able to manipulate Jesus and to trap Jesus. But now he cares about her. He didn't just avoid the trap, now he is addressing her. And so I don't know what this man, I mean, there's this crowd around and he's with the woman. Did he go up to her and look her in the eyes as he said these next words? Did he come up and whisper in her ear? What did he do? How did he communicate? I don't know, but he said this to the woman. He said, where are your accusers? Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? And notice what she says, no, Lord. She didn't say no, dude no way, man, no Lord. She recognized there's something different about this man. She recognized that he deserves a different place in her life than any other man, that you would be the Lord, that you would be in charge. No, Lord, she said. And I can only imagine Jesus smiling here. It doesn't say it, but I would like to think that he smiled. And he said, neither do I. I don't condemn you go and sin no more. Wow. See, I think some of us, and even me at times, I would think that Jesus probably should have said more in this conversation. You know, she was literally caught in the act of adultery. I think Jesus might have been just as fine to say, you know what, hey woman, I think that you should go over there and sit in that corner and I think you should ruminate on your sin. I think you should really think about it, right? You should go and beat yourself up and recognize that what you did was really wrong. But Jesus doesn't do that, does he? He simply says, go and sin no more. Yes, you've screwed up sexually. Yes, you've done what you shouldn't have done. Yes, you have messed up. But it's time to move on. I have a new life for you. Go and sin no more. There's this other interesting interaction that takes place in John chapter 4 where Jesus meets the Samaritan woman by a well. This woman wasn't married. She happened to be living with a man. And instead of drawing water when everybody else did early in the morning or at nighttime when it wasn't real hot, she's showing up in the middle of the day in the heat of the day. Now, we don't know why. Maybe it was because she wanted to avoid any interactions at the gossip well with all the other women in town. And she didn't want to hear what they had to say or their disdainful looks because they knew that she was living in a way that wouldn't have been proper. But all we know is that she's showing up in the middle of the day when nobody goes to get water and it just so happens that Jesus is setting at this very well. And Jesus, who's incredible, saw this woman and he knew her pain. He knew the rejection that she had experienced and he knew the sexual sin in her life. And Jesus didn't say to her, hey, What's the matter with you? Don't you know you're not supposed to have sex outside of marriage? Like, could Jesus have said that? Yeah, he could have said that, but that's not what Jesus said. Instead, what he said is he said, hey, would you mind getting me a drink of water? (laughs) I'm kind of thirsty. And then he says, you know what? I want to give you living water. I want to change your life. And so she begins to have this conversation with him, and Jesus is lovingly counseling her through her deepest pain. And, and he ends up saying, he said, hey, go call your husband and have him come here. And she says, I have no husband. And he smirks and says, I know, you're right. You're right for saying I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one that you're with now is not your husband. What you've said is true. And I want you to notice, even in this conversation, his focus was not on her sexual sin and shame. His focus was on giving her new life. And Jesus, in this conversation, gave her value. He gave her hope in the midst of her shameful situation. And as the story ends, she embraces Jesus' forgiveness. She says, I want this living water that you have. And her life radically changes. And where she went from going to the well in the middle of the day to avoid people, she went to all the town people and told them, I met somebody and he knew my whole story. And he didn't shame me for it, he gave me new life. And I want you to know who Jesus is. She became the town evangelist and led people to the feet of Jesus. Jesus is not interested in shaming you. He's interested in forgiving you and giving you a hope and a future. We need God to forgive us, but we have to be humble enough to own our mistakes and confess our sin to Him and receive His new life. Number one, God forgive you. Number two, you forgive you. Some of us are fine receiving God's forgiveness. All right, He forgave me, but then we like to continue to sit here and beat ourselves up. Yeah, God forgave me, but I can't believe I did that. I'm such an idiot. And we continue in this pattern of self-condemnation even after God has forgiven us of our sin. We'll use Johnny as an example. I made him up. It's a good name. Johnny had made a mess of his life. Can we see the mess that Johnny made of his life? But then he learned about Jesus and that he could ask for forgiveness and it could be made clean. So he prayed and asked God to forgive him of the mess in his life. And guess what? If you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to set you free and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And God was true to his word. He forgave Johnny of his sins and set him free from all of this. The problem was, was that Johnny kept focusing on what had happened. He kept reliving his past sexual sin, and instead of focusing on the new life that God had for him and what God was trying to lead him into, he just continued to remain focused on his old life and dwell on the past, and his focus on the past prevented him from moving forward, and when you focus the spotlight of your life on your past, you will always have a dim future. We have to fix our gaze onto the future that God has for us. And so Johnny continued to beat himself up over his sins, and he believed that he wasn't good enough, and he could probably never be godly enough for God because of what his past was. And he wrongly thought that God was probably disappointed in him and just couldn't believe that he had done that. And sure, he forgave him, but there's like an asterisk by his name, and like, he's in, but it's like, just barely, because you're screwed up. And so Johnny started to feel like the scum of the earth. Like, he felt like, I'm a waste of space. And although he wouldn't articulate it in these words, he almost pointed and pictured God as this guy pointing at him and just condemning him and putting him down. But the picture that Johnny had of God was not accurate. See, God is gracious. He's loving. He's compassionate. And when Johnny confessed his sin and turned from it, he was forgiven in that moment. He may not have felt forgiven, but that did not mean that he was not forgiven in reality. See, God removed his guilt. God had cleared his conscience. And some of you need to hear this because you're like Johnny. You may not feel forgiven, but the truth is, if you've come to Jesus and confessed your sins, you are forgiven. So accept his forgiveness and forgive yourself and embrace the new life he has for you. Yeah, but I can't believe I did that. I know, but God has a new life for you, and it's not beating yourself up over that. Jesus isn't into penance. You don't have to go do something to beat yourself up to feel as though you're worthy to move on. He just graciously gives it to you. If you've gone to Jesus, you've repented of your sin, you've confessed it to him, and you've made him the Lord of your life, God has forgiven you no matter what you feel. But you need to forgive you. And you need to stop with the shame and you need to stop with the condemnation. And you may feel like you're being dismissive or minimizing your sin if you don't sit in it for a while and beat yourself up. But listen, God's not beating you up. God's not leading you to beat yourself up. God's actually leading you into new life. And so if you've confessed your sins, guess what? Psalm 103 says that he has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. Your sins are not on you anymore. God's not looking at you through the filter of your sin. Your sin has been removed from you. He sees you as his son. He sees you as righteous. He sees you as new. We need to begin to see ourselves the way that God sees us, not just the way that we see ourselves. Our perception's messed up. His perception is always correct. And if you ever saw yourself with the value that God saw in you, you would never think of yourself the same way. And some of you don't have value. You feel like I've done so many things wrong. I can never be valuable. I'm just such a worthless person. That's not how God sees you. Embrace God's point of view for you. And it'll change your life. Amen. You matter to God. God wants to forgive you. He wants you to forgive you. And we got one more. You need to forgive them. How many of you guys know the Lord's Prayer? You guys taught that ever? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come on earth as in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. That last phrase, if we put that into a different translation, here it is in the New Century Version. It says, forgive us for our sins just as we have forgiven those who sinned against us. We all want God's forgiveness, but we struggle for whatever reason to forgive those who sinned against us and this is a tough subject for those who have been sexually abused and violated and taken advantage of just the idea of forgiving those who sinned against you is the furthest thing from your mind because you may think if i forgive them does that make what they did okay Uh, You may think, listen, they don't deserve to be forgiven after what they did. You may think that they deserve hell for what they did to you. And my heart goes out to those who were especially sexually abused as children because the abuser in that situation was someone who knew better. And they violated their own conscience. And in so doing, violated you. But the interesting thing about forgiving them, about forgiving those who've sinned against you, is that forgiveness is actually more for you than it is for them. There's an old saying. says, if you can't forgive, it's like holding a hot coal in your hand. You're the one that's being burned. See, when someone sins against you, it creates a debt, and the result is that you feel like you're owed something, and you want that debt to be repaid. More times than not, the person who sinned against you can never really pay back what you feel is owed to you. They can't restore your innocence. They can't return your virginity. They can't erase the emotional fallout and the trauma that you've experienced, They're incapable of repaying this debt that you feel is owed to you. And sometimes the person who we feel owes us this debt is no longer even alive. And we feel as though they owe us something. When you carry a grudge and you refuse to forgive, when you feel like people still owe you, when you do that, you actually handcuff yourself to that person and you give that person power in your life. There's only one way to unhandcuff yourself from your offender, and that's to forgive them. To forgive them means that I am canceling the debt that I feel is owed to me. They can't repay it anyway. I am going to cancel that debt. I'm gonna forgive them. I won't lie. Might be the hardest thing you ever do. But the new life that God has for you is on the other side of forgiveness. In Ephesians chapter four, verse 31 through 32, it says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander. If you've been violated, those words, you feel and you know. There's bitterness, there's a rage, there's an anger, there's been some harsh words. You maybe didn't say them, but boy, you thought them. And slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Get rid of that stuff. Instead, here's what God wants. He says, I want you to be kind to each other, tender hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Forgiveness, it's what our faith is centered on. It's forgiveness for our own mistakes, our own mess ups, our own sexual sin. God comes to forgive but we have to learn to forgive ourselves for what we've done, and we have to learn to forgive others for what they've done to us. And it's on the other side of that that you'll experience a freedom that maybe you've never had in your life. And it's on the other side that God's gonna meet you, and for the first time, you're gonna experience a clear conscience. For the first time, you're gonna have a peace that the Bible says surpasses understanding. It doesn't make sense for you to have peace with all that's happened in your life. You get to experience that. He promises a joy that surpasses your circumstances and it surpasses your story. It's something that only he brings and the joy of the Lord becomes your strength. And I want you to embrace the best life that God has for you. And it's on the other side of forgiveness. So this morning, what is it that you need to do? Are you in a place of saying, I need to ask God to forgive me because I have violated what he wants. I've made a mess of my life. Can I tell you, God wants to meet you today and set you free. And you may not feel different after you ask for forgiveness, but the truth is you are forgiven if you repent and turn to him. Some of you maybe have gone through that and you said, no, I've prayed that prayer and I've asked God to do that, but I just can't seem to forgive myself. I can't believe I was so stupid to do that. I can't believe that I actually participated. I cannot believe that this is in my history. Can you take the spotlight off of your past? Can you allow that to be given up? And can you embrace the life that God has for you? Can we come alive to Christ and die to our old self? We can't keep thinking about our old self. We need to focus on our new self. And then finally, some of you have been violated by others. There's people that you have a hatred for and a bitterness, and it's actually handcuffing and holding you back in your life. And it's the hardest thing because maybe your innocence was taken from you. And you may be mad at God, saying, how could he have allowed this to happen? Listen, God's will was not for that to happen. Someone violated God's will in order to do that to you. So don't blame God for it, but come to him and say, you know what? I don't want to be captive. I don't want to be a victim the rest of my life. I want to be more than a conqueror. And listen, it's not a one-time decision. Can I tell you that? When you forgive somebody, it's not one time. You can say it today, but then tomorrow, all those emotions rush back. And it's again today forgiving them. It's again today saying, no, I'm canceling that debt. They do not owe me. I want the life that God has. And you can be a Christian for years for decades. And you know what the enemy is going to do? He's going to bring up something from your past just to make you feel worthless, like you have no value, like you can't do what God wants. And you got to remind yourself, no, I've asked God to forgive me in my past. He has made me new and I have released the debt that someone else owed me. No debt is owed to me. I want what God has for me. So wherever you're at, can you take that next step in faith? It's hard. It's difficult. Life's messy. But God loves you in the midst of it. And when he cleans you up, man, it's like the weight of the world's been taken from your shoulders. I want you to experience that. Would you guys pray with me? God, I thank you that you love us, that you care about us, that we matter to you. And God, we've all made a mess of our life at some point in time. And so God, if we've not asked you to forgive us, Lord, may this be the moment that those who want to step into this relationship with you say, God, please forgive me for where I've sinned. God, make me new, cleanse me from the stain of sin in my life. I pray, God, that you'd meet them and that they would be revolutionized in this moment and their trajectory of their life would be forever changed for those, God, who've made that step in the past, but they've not been able to get over themselves and keep beating themselves over and are continuing to live in this shame game in which they're shaming themselves, God, would you help them to take that spotlight off their past and to put it onto your future? Would you help guide them and lead them into a new way of living? And for God, those who have been hurt, for those who've been sinned against, God, they need, they need you to help them day to day, to recognize, God, that you can set them free from whatever's happened. And God, while they were sinned against, God, it was never your will. And God, you can take what the enemy may be meant for evil, God, and you can use it for good. I pray, God, that there would be a freedom that is experienced as people forgive those who have sinned against them. We thank you the opportunity to gather today. We thank you that you love us and that we matter to you. We thank you that you spoke to us through the scriptures about how to live and manage ourselves sexually. May we embrace the life you have for us. And finally, God, we ask that the Kansas City Chiefs would beat the Philadelphia Eagles. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen thank you for listening to this message. For more information, please visit newlifekc.com.